Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Hey, everybody. Welcome and thank you for joining us. As we launch into our new and exciting Breeder to Breeder series over the next few months, just a quick reminder, Susan Patterson, Gail Watkins, and I have over 120 years of combined breeding experience, but we are not veterinarians. Although we can offer you proven, research-based suggestions, we are not providing veterinary advice. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we are back with our Breeder to Breeder series here on the podcast. And I'm joined again by my dear friends, Dr. Gail Watkins and Susan Patterson, who are the breeder experts here at Good Dog. And we are walking you through some of the really tough and important things to know about whelping and raising your litter during this whole series that we have coming up. And we talked last week about stillborn puppies and some of the reasons and some of the ways maybe to help avoid that. And this week, we're going to talk about, okay, I've got that puppy out. It's alive, sort of. How do I make it live? And resuscitating puppies. And we're going to talk about natural whelping and C-sections and all of the things that we have in our toolkits as breeders to make those puppies live and thrive. Sounds great. Hi, Laura. Hi, Susan. Hi, Laura. So let's start with how do we know a puppy might be in trouble? Not a C-section puppy, naturally born puppy. How do we know it might be in trouble? So there's a couple of things that I look for. The first is that blue cast where the tongue is bluish, the nose is bluish, the pads of the feet. They're going to be blue, but they're going to have a bluish cast. And you're thinking low oxygen. That's always my number one thing. Yes. I don't like quiet puppies. I don't like puppies that are born and have not made a sound the entire time. I make my puppies squeak. Intentionally make my, I pinch their tails. Like I want them to take that big breath of air that helps clear their lungs. If there's any fluid. And I want them in my breed, wear hair pointers. If they're not like trying to get away from me and run to their mother, they're not doing well. Now, I understand that that doesn't apply to everybody else's breeds, but I want an active. I want to feel tension in their body. I do not want them to feel like a limp dishcloth. That tells me my puppy's got a problem. Agreed. We want a vigorous puppy, not a flaccid puppy. It shouldn't feel soft. And I always describe it that a healthy puppy, when you pick it up, it should weigh more than it looks. Even if it's a chihuahua, you should think, oh, this puppy is going to be like a feather, maybe not a feather for your German wire hairs, but you pick it up and you're like, wow, this puppy is dense and solid as you're saying. And so I want 
crying, when I annoy them, I want them making noise and I want them moving. I want them active. Puppies that aren't moving are concerning, very, very concerning. From minute one through week six. (laughs) Yeah. Lethargic puppies are concerning. Exactly. Absolutely. And I always tell people, act now. Don't wait. If you're looking at a puppy and you're thinking, gosh, you know, do you think that's a little blue or do you think he's okay because he's kind of nosing at a nipple? Act because you aren't going to hurt him by doing the things we're going to describe. But if you let him just sit there and begin to go downhill, puppies can go downhill so rapidly. It's stunning how fast you can lose them. Susan. I was going to actually ask Gail, you know, the puppies are going to be coming 24 hours. What do you pull together to get ready? I'll give you my brief list. I have my snuggle discs. I also have a pad with a rheostat on it so I can use a sterilite box. I can control the warmth environment. I tend to have mothers who either take a long time to have puppies or I need a baseball mitt to catch them (laughs) because they're coming out so darn fast. And so I'm going to need a place to put the puppy. So I want something warm because a chilled puppy is dangerous. And I also have oxygen on the side. I don't use it unless I need it, but I have it on the side. What do you prepare ahead, things like on your shelf that you can just pull off? Absolutely. A warming box with, I have a very, very old heating pad that does not have an automatic off switch. I treasure it. I take such good care of that thing. And my snuggle discs. Delay catheter. If you're a breeder, you must invest in delay catheters. So much better than bulb syringes. So we used to only have bulb syringes and especially they just don't fit in most puppies and you don't know whether they're actually getting anything out of them. So delay catheters are not expensive and they are a fabulous, fabulous investment. And this is a cath. Catheter sounds like a very strong word, but it's right. It's like Two hoses, one that you just use to clear out the puppy's nostrils. You don't put it in very far. And then one has a mouthpiece. So it's two different hoses and they go into a little like a test tube. So you're not actually sucking anything into your mouth. There's nothing coming into you, but you're putting just that little bit of vacuum suction on it to clear. You can clear your puppy's mouths. They happen to have gotten fluid in it and you can clear their nostrils. So. I can't imagine whelping without a delete catheter. And then I go and buy those automotive towels, those little rough towels. They're inexpensive. You can get 50 for not much money. And mine are white. And I use those for two reasons. One, they're rough. And so I am going to scrub that puppy to stimulate that puppy. And I want to scrub its back. I want to scrub its belly. Most of what I do is the back and sides, but I also want to stroke genitals and abdomen and I scrub. But I want white because I want to see what fluids are either on that puppy or coming out of that puppy. So no patterns, no colors. Sometimes the pictures are not pretty. You know, the fluids are not pretty, but I want to know what are the fluids around that puppy? So those two added to yours, I think, can get you a long way. Yeah, I have white bar towels that have the ribs on it 
for the exact same reason. I think those are so important. And the nice part is that I just, I've got the bag as I'm whelping right next to me and I have a pile. I must have a hundred of them. And I just throw them in the bag and then they go down in the bleach and the draft and they're all washed, which is great and ready for the next time. I do the same thing because puppies are wet. You know, the whole birthing process is wet and you don't want to be using a damp towel on your puppies. Dry towels. Dry towels. And if you have a towel warmer or you can put your towels in your warming box to warm them so you're not using a cold towel and you're not using a damp towel on your puppies. That just helps contribute. You know, they can't control their body temperature. We need to assist them with that, but we also need them in our hands while we scrub them. And so a way to keep them from getting chilled is to, I also put them on my lap when I scrub. So I'll sit them on my lap while I scrub them. So they're getting warm for me. And really I scrub them. Well, you can also scrub them. And if you have a blow dryer in a stand, Using the warmth of the blow dryer can make a big difference in puppies because it's immediate warmth, you're scrubbing, and some puppies just seem to need that little bit of extra. It's a trick that someone taught me, and I pass it along to everybody. Who'd have thought my blow dryer would come in handy there? I have to say, one of my students introduced me to that idea. She just uses a regular blow dryer, but only when her hands are on it, so she knows how much heat. Yep. She's never burning the puppies. I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's a great idea because I have some really obsessive mothers who will do everything in their power to never let that puppy dry because it just isn't clean enough if it's dry. And so figuring out how to dry it quickly, a blow dryer is a great idea, but you do have to watch the heat. You know, we don't want chilled puppies. We don't want overheated puppies. Oh yeah, definitely. And the other thing that I think is our best tool is our hands. Because as you said, you can feel and then you can take that puppy and after you're rubbing, you can take your fingers very gently but firmly and pinch all the way down the spine. There is a nerve column there that really makes a difference. And I want to hear those puppies protesting. I want to hear squeaks and I want to hear all kinds of noises. Nothing makes me happier than whelping a puppy and having it cry immediately. Just holler. And you think about it, if you watch any TV show, particularly old TV shows where women were giving birth, you know, in the old Wild West, what was the thing that made everybody smile and cheer and be so relieved? The baby cry. The babies cry. And it's the same thing with our puppies. And we really, I think, need to make them cry as difficult as it is. Mm-hmm. it's a moment where, as Laura said, you feel like they have cleared their lungs. I always say you just have to piss them off because now they're like, I'm going to live just because you really annoyed me. <laughs> you pinched my tail. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is all good. So we've gotten the puppy out. We've scrubbed it and rubbed it. We've gotten it dry. We've kept it warm and it's just not coming along. And it's still droopy and maybe it gasped you know maybe it made that fish guppy thing and we did our dealy catheter and we did all the stuff and we pinched its tail and it went right and it didn't really all right now we're up against it now what gail start with you so let me say the one thing i don't do anymore is swing or sling puppies 
And it makes me kind of sad to think of the puppies I did swing. You live, you learn. I had the same way. How many litters of C-section clumber spaniels we swung? I can't, I can't count that high. I... Yeah, there actually is a study on this. Oh, yeah. And the science of swinging is the same as babies. You do not swing. You may hold this puppy at a 45 or a 60 degree angle down so the fluids drain out. but Use your accordion where you're putting your back and forth with your head and your... Oh, yeah. Describe that more, Susan. You taught that to me. Okay. Right. So, Susan, we're saying we know now, but we didn't used to No, we didn't used to. And like Gail, I will raise my hand and say that I did my absolute best to support every puppy that was swung, but you can't support the brain inside the skull. And that's the problem. It's not the neck. It is the internal brain that's sloshing around going, oh my God. And that's shaken baby syndrome. Shaken baby syndrome. Yeah. And I think it's amazing that our dogs have all survived as well as they have. Yeah. Truly. So we're not doing that. Good call out, Gail. Yeah. Susan. Go with the accordion because it's a really good method. Yeah. So it's basically, especially large breeds, it's very easy to do where you have a puppy that you're just very gently kind of, I say pull, but I don't mean pull. I mean, stretching, just kind stretching. Of stretching it. Think of it as yoga for the puppy. You're stretching it out a little bit and then you're compressing it back together. And when you do that, you're opening the lungs, you're compressing the lungs, you're helping it breathe and it will make a difference. It will get them breathing. It will get them water out. It does make a difference. And you may have to do it three or four times. But it is a really good, or I will do it where the puppy's head is. I know nobody can see me, but I have my hands holding a head right here, my other hand holding the butt up on top. So I'm doing it so that gravity helps get the fluids out. Turning the puppy upside down so that its mouth is literally aimed at the ground. Supporting, but holding. Supporting the puppy the whole time. And you're using the gravity piece that we were talking about before. Yes. So much of the time it's fluids that are our enemy in this and the puppy's enemy in this and how we get that fluid out of their lungs. Because with the delete catheter, we can clear out the nostrils, we can clean out the mouth, but we can't do the lungs. We're trying to clear their lungs and get them breathing. And everything with head down, trying to use gravity while we rub, while we scrub, while we delay, while we do the accordion. And I don't know about you guys, but I always feel like I'm in a cycle. I'm scrubbing, I'm delaying, I'm accordion, I'm scrubbing. I might be giving a little glucose solution. I'm scrubbing some more. Right. I mean, I just don't put the puppy down and I'll do it for an hour. I mean, I'll just keep going. If the puppy is showing signs of life, I just keep going. Okay. So this is a really great call out right here, Gail. I want to interject and say, and again, folks that listened last week know that I have this fellow who has one of my dogs that I am mentoring through his very first litter of whelping all by himself. I didn't even drive up there like a crazy grandma or nothing. This is amazing. And so he had the four stillborn puppies and he was talking to me, how do I know how do I know that it's really gone? You know, its tongue is yellow or it's limp or it's, you know, 
so let's give people some really identifiable things that they can latch onto and say, do I keep trying? Do I try CPR? You know, do I give it little puffs of air? Talk to us about what we're doing at that point. Well, my veterinarian has said, if you can't get a heartbeat after 15 minutes, then you aren't going to get one. So my stethoscope comes in super handy. But if I've got a heartbeat, I don't stop till the heartbeat, either the puppy comes to or I lose the puppy because it's all about the heartbeat. Perfect. I use the Doppler for the same reason. And the thing we always have to remember is the puppy is going to be warm when it comes out. So a lot of times people will say, oh, but it was warm. Well, because it was just in a hundred degree mother. (laughs) And so it still has the body heat from its mother. And a lot of times puppies will come out pink. You know, we talked about stillborn puppies last time. And stillborn puppies can come out looking perfect. They look like they're asleep. They are not blued. Yep. They weren't struggling. They're these beautiful little warm things that we can't get a heartbeat on. So I use my Doppler and the heartbeat for me is key. And like Susan, I have fought a long time for a puppy that hasn't given up the ghost yet and is trying. I will do mouth to nose resuscitation. Honestly, I'll do it. I'll do little chest compressions. Yep. But on um, mouth to nose, we have to remember these are really little things. And so we're doing little puffs. And you always want to make sure you have your hand on the puppy's abdomen and chest to feel if any of the air is going in. And puppies should be breathing between 10 and 18 breaths a minute. So you're not going. <laughs> It's sort of a gentle, relaxed, breathing in a few times, checking to see if the puppy is able to do it on its own. What about needle resuscitation? I have used it, fortunately, not very frequently, but enough. And it has been a godsend because the connection of all the nerves. I take one of my 25-gauge needles off of one of my 3cc syringes. And you place it, of course, nobody can see me, but right under my nose and just where the flus split. Right, the lips split. Right, the lips split. So you want it right under the nose and you can actually feel it go in and you can feel it hit the right spot. And if it works, it's like magic. It is magic. It's like, (gasps) and the nerves help the puppy to go, oh my God, I guess I better be alive. Take a breath. Yeah, take a breath. And for those of you who think we might be nuts, this is actually an acupressure point. It is a real thing that can stimulate breathing. And it's on my list. I do it all. (laughs) Right. I have used the needle, but I am given to understand and speak to me your knowledge on this, that you can use it as an acupressure point. You don't have to actually use a needle. You can. You can't. I don't have fingernails. So for me, when I'm whelping, I am one of the few people who probably does not use gloves. I want to feel everything with my hands. I come out of whelping kind of looking like I might have. Little green? Yeah, I I might have been tie dyeing something green. So I'm green and black and blue and bloody. And, you know, that's just how it goes. So for me, the acupressure is a great suggestion but I don't have the fingernail to do it. And my puppies are small enough 
that it's easier for me personally to do the needle. One of the other things, I'm going to go back to the raspy puppies. Before I breed, my vet and I work together. I'm fortunate to have a cadre of veterinarians that I work with. And I've stopped using Dopram, but I have, I am given, because of trust, a 1cc of dexamethasone. And if I have a raspy puppy, which we talked about earlier, the directions are one, and we're talking drops, one or two drops on the tongue. And basically that helps the lung surfactant, which helps breathing. And then when the puppy's nursing, that's usually all it takes. But a raspy puppy, I always worry about aspirational pneumonia, et cetera. And I've also used Afrin, which is a decongestant. So these are anecdotal things that my veterinarian and I have worked with to talk about using. But, you know, it's under the, you do the best to get these puppies the first 24 hours. And raspy puppies are very concerning to me. All right, guys, don't forget that all Good Dog Breeder members can use the email breederofficehours at gooddog.com to ask specific questions or discuss a sensitive topic. Send your email by Monday and get your response in Susan Patterson's Straight from the Whelping Box column by Thursday. Awesome! And... Avadog's Your Litter A to Z course is available to all Good Dog Breeder members. Just log into your Good Dog account and then go to the Good Breeder Center where you'll find A to Z as well as savvy socialization courses created by Gail Watkins just for you. So there's a couple things that I want to touch on before we move on to our next topic because I think they're super important. Not everybody that's listening has a Doppler or a stethoscope or a veterinarian that trusts them. So let's really, really look at what the person who doesn't have all the resources can do. Like my guy who doesn't have any of those things. How does he know that puppy isn't going to make it? I tried to help him find a pulse, you know, all of those things. So let's talk a little bit to folks that don't have the resources that some of us are blessed with. Most people can get oxygen. That's a big plus. I mean, you can get it at a welding supply place. You can buy the, they're for old people. What are they? Oxygen concentrators. Right. They're great. No offense to old people because I'm there. (laughs) But yeah, the oxygen concentrators are great. You can buy them online. You can buy them on eBay. And they are a real bonus, especially when every breath counts for a puppy. And you can make a nose cone out of a Dixie cup and fish tubing. So there are ways, you know, if you don't have, like you said, the resources, I think that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Gail? The things we started with are how I'm looking at puppies to say, should I keep going or should I not? So it's going to be things like an increasing blue cast. So the puppy came out pink, but now you're beginning to see uh, blue tongue, blue pads, and often the tongue will begin to come out of the mouth. And it's not moving. It's just coming out of the mouth. It is a puppy that is becoming more flaccid, more droopy, droopy, soft. Puppies are not soft usually. 
a puppy that despite being on a warming pad is cooling. So if you've got it, say, on a heating pad, but you're touching its back, a puppy can still maintain its temperature at 97, 98 degrees. So it needs environmental heat, but it is not a lizard. It's not completely at the whim of its environment. And so once they're out and they're alive, puppies will maintain a 97 to 98 degree body temperature if they have a warm environment. So if you've got them on a heating pad and you're feeling his back and it's getting colder and colder and it's approaching room temperature, you're not seeing any breathing, any breathing. I mean, we don't like to see abdominal breathing. We don't like to see open mouth breathing, but the puppy's breathing. And so we'll take any breathing. That's when we use Susan's oxygen concentrator. You know, we've got some breath. But if we have a puppy where we are seeing this progression of negative indicators without any positive. I probably have never given up on a puppy in less than 20 minutes. But if over those 20 minutes, it's getting colder, it's getting more flaccid, it's getting bluer, there's no breath. All the breaths are coming from me accordioning or giving puffs, then that's usually my indication. One of the other tricks that I learned from the NICU nurses is two drops of super strong coffee on the tongue. And again, when I have a fading puppy, you know, I'm of the belief that you can't kill a dead puppy. I pull out all the stops like Gail. I will work. You know, this is where a whelper helper is great. You've got someone else in there whelping if you have to concentrate on this puppy. I keep those Starbucks Via packs of espresso where you just mix it up with hot water very quickly, two drops on the tongue, and a little bit of glucose, which is caro syrup on my finger. Because if I can get them started with that tiny bit of caffeine and the glucose into the system, sometimes that's all it takes. So it's going through your toolbox. And if one doesn't work, then I move to another and I just kind of methodically work my way through all the tools that I have. And sometimes we can't save, they just are not destined to take more than the first two breaths. But I will pull out all the stops. I am with Susan. And I want to emphasize one thing that she said that not everyone may know. When we say one or two drops on the tongue, there's a very specific reason for that. Because puppies cannot gag. And so if we squirt things into the back of their mouths or we use a syringe to put things into their mouths, they're going to choke, they're going to aspirate, and we will have contributed to aspiration pneumonia. So what we're doing is putting one drop on the cup of the tongue, right in the middle of the tongue, not the back of the mouth, not the cheek like you would with an older dog. And then If the puppy is alive somewhat, it will smack, you know, and it will drink that. And ideally, you do one at a time. So you do a drop and the puppy, you know, swallows it and then you put another drop. If the puppy can't swallow, it's just so lethargic and so weak that it can't, you can do one and then do the other. And then it's going to sort of slide down the side of the tongue. And things like I do caffeine, I do coffee as well. And the key with coffee, caffeine can kill dogs. Caffeine is a toxin. We always want to remember that. 
But I think Susan's comment's really important. We can't kill a dead puppy. So if that puppy is dying and the choice is I'm going to give it two drops of coffee or I'm going to bury it, I'm going to give it two drops of coffee. I am not going to give it 10 drops of coffee. And I am not going to feed coffee to its mother. (laughs) Exactly. We call these kickstarts, these things that can jolt a puppy into living. I make a glucose solution out of caro syrup and Pedialyte and use that. And I have, I won't say overstimulated puppies, but I've dealt with puppies that are having sugar highs because they were dying. Right. And I gave them a few drops of this mixture. And for the next three hours, they cruise around the whelping box because they're on a sugar high, but they're alive. I've never used the coffee because that's two drops that I didn't get. So I'm just saying, but, <laughs> but I think caro syrup and Pedialyte, I really strongly encourage and absolute worst case crisis mode. Everybody's got honey in the cupboard. Maple syrup. You might not have Pedialyte. You might not have caro syrup, maple syrup, honey, table sugar, and warm water. Warm water. It does have to be a liquid. Yeah, It right. does have to be. Yeah, it must, must be, a, be liquid. a liquid. It cannot you... be a powder. Going back to the caffeine, there are a lot of drugs that we all use and we all take. And this is why there's dose and dose recommendations, because too much of any good thing is not really good, even for adults. Wine might be the exception to that. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> there's a dosage? <laughs> I didn't know there was a dosage. <laughs> Yeah, but it's really, I think, important that people understand, like you said, Gail, I have children's vitamin droppers, the glass tube ones, and that is my drop dose. So I'm not dropping from a spoon or from anything else. It is a drop. I want to say it's what, one-tenth of a tenth of a cc. It's very small. So that's really important to understand where a little bit of something is a lifesaver, and a lot of something will kill you. That is a, another tool I use, Susan, are those glass eyedroppers. So yep. the glass eyedroppers that you can get at CVS or pharmacy or from Amazon are medicinal. You're looking for a medicinal eyedropper, and it does have a fixed amount. So if you yep. put a liquid in it and you do one drop, that is a set amount. We're not doing it out of a syringe. We're not doing it from a spoon. As Susan said, we are doing it from a glass eyedropper because that is calibrated. So that's another tool that I have sitting actually everywhere because they are so helpful in dealing with puppies. Excellent. So one of the other things that I wanted to touch on that you and I both are pretty adamant about is when we get these puppies going, the first thing we want to have them do is nurse. Yes, There is a window for nursing for colostrum and the gut is going to close. Therefore, we do not want to tube feed that puppy. We want that puppy to nurse off mom. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding. (laughs) Winner, winner. (laughs) Even if we have to allow stronger puppies to nurse right next to the other puppy, which creates the letdown so the puppy can get milk or take a large 40, 60 cc syringe, depending on the size of your dog, cut off the top, flip it around, and you can make a breast pump to pull out the colostrum that you can tube feed. 
but whatever we put wait into- wait wait stop it stop it i need you to go back and do that again because that is genius it's cool hey it's cool it's go back so and do cool. it again tell us okay. how to do that so basically you get one of the larger again i have large dogs so i'm talking a 40 or 60 cc syringe like they use for cattle it's got this big tube on the front and i cut that off separate the two pieces the small pointy piece the pointy piece off got a little saw and i just go to town right then i take the syringe out from the end with the flanges Mm -hmm. and i put it in the other end so the flanges go up against mom not the cut thing and you can get 10 15 cc's out at a time if you've got two active puppies nursing and you're gentle you're not like Oh, you know, pulling it like you're trying to start a gas mower. Again, (laughs) you're trying to be gentle. I didn't mean to make Gail collapse (laughs) in paroxysms of laughter, but you can do this. And you can do it with smaller syringes. If you have a chihuahua, you can use a 10cc, same thing. Turn it around, cut it, take it off. But what you don't want to do for a minimum of the first four hours up to, is it 12? 12, Gail? 12. You want to make sure that that puppy has every opportunity to get the colostrum from the mother. Excellent. And it doesn't need to eat. At that point in time, a baby puppy comes with about 24 hours of energy, even a thin one. And so we can give the caro syrup, we can give the maple syrup, the honey to give a little energy, but it doesn't need food yet. It needs colostrum. It needs those antibodies. So- Really, yeah. And so if you feed, what happens is you change the gut biome and it will no longer be able to be open and absorb the colostrum appropriately. Gail, Susan, thank you so much. This is amazing. We've had some really good ideas for people that have struggling puppies. And next week, we're going to have more information on more topics on Breeder to Breeder. So stop back by. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. All right, everybody. Thanks for taking us with you today. If you're not a member of Good Dogs Community and you're interested in more information like this, as well as gaining access to our exclusive benefits, you can apply to join today at gooddog.com backslash join. That's gooddog.com backslash join. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com dot com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.